0: We're talking about understanding the spiritual principles of sowing and reaping. In Matthew, Matthew, the ninth chapter, beginning with verse 36. Matthew 9:36 talks about Jesus and who is the Lord of the harvest. Matthew 9:36. Well, let's go back to verse 35 of Matthew 9. It says, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then he said unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. This is not in my notes, but so may I just go back to verse 36 for a moment it said that Jesus saw them that because they had compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd may I emphasize again today that this is one of the great problems within the evangelical churches denominationalism has almost destroyed the concept of a sheep shepherd relationship many people go looking for a church instead of a shepherd and I want you to know the scripture says that we're to seek out, sheep are to seek out a shepherd where they get fed and where they grow. When that shepherd teaches and preaches, they hear God by the power of the Holy Spirit speaking to them. One of the greatest devastations to many churches today is the fact that people will go to a church and they'll have a pastor there that they can relate to, but that pastor leaves and another one comes in and there's no way they they can relate to that person. And the denominations have set up their programs where they keep shifting pastors around all the time and so you cannot tie in and say, this is my shepherd. Here's where I belong, and I, I will work in this ministry. I will continue to build the ministry that God's called this man to perform here. And consequently, young people get into much confusion because they begin to follow a pastor, and that pastor leaves, and no one comes in, they try to follow that one. Then they find one they can't follow at all. But Jesus says that when we go looking, we should look for a shepherd, and he gives us the qualifications in Timothy and Titus for looking for a shepherd. Are they the husband of one wife? Are they not grabbing for money? Are they out? Do they have a good reputation in the community? Do their children obey quickly and quietly? Are they obedient? And, and it gives all these different requirements. That's for the sheep to find out what the requirements are and go seek a shepherd and then submit to that shepherd. Consequently, we see many people today jumping from church to church to church. And I feel the frustration for them. They, they say to me, Pastor, I can't find a church. I don't know where to go to church. And I say, don't look for a church, look for a shepherd. You might find one in a little tiny place. You might find a shepherd in a large place, but you make sure that it's your shepherd. How do I know? My sheep hear my voice, Jesus said. Yes, I know he is the chief shepherd, but he has under shepherds, those that are called to a ministry, to an office, and then he brings calls those under that shepherd to support that ministry. Now, I know you don't hear that teaching very often, but search the scripture and you'll find that's true. I do not find anywhere in the scripture where a pastor candidates for a church. How many of you have found a verse that pastors candidate at a church? How many of you have found a scripture verse anywhere that says that a pastor is to be voted on every year? It takes it totally out of the realm of spiritual authority and leadership and puts it in the realm of political power. I've known pastors who have been terrified every year because I don't dare say this. I don't dare touch on this subject. I don't dare preach this because if I do, sister such and such and brother such and such will get up in arms and they'll vote me out next year. I want to tell you something, that is not scriptural. There was some years ago when we had a man that came to me and said that from now on I want you to submit your notes to me and other officers in the church. And I said, I don't know where you got off the bus, but you're in the wrong route. You need to get on another bus, go somewhere else because... I don't submit my notes to anyone but the Lord. I say, Lord, what would you have me to say? And then I have to say what he tells me to say. Spiritual authority brings spiritual responsibility. There are a lot of people that want authority, but they don't want the responsibility. And it's a lot easier to take authority than it is to take responsibility. Many times we want to do things, but then we don't have to pay for it. And the Word of God says that he who is given much, what? Much required. If God puts you in a place of responsibility... The Lord's going to hold you responsible for whatever you do or don't do in that place of responsibility. And of course, like I've said, I'm an old country boy. If you are leadership in a church, you don't have to kick. Cream never has to kick to get to the top. It floats to the top automatically. It just happens. And God says that many times when the pressure times come into church, that's when true leadership comes out. Those that are submitted and those that are uh, supporting that particular ministry, that's when true leadership is revealed during a time of stress and strain in the church. We're talking about spiritual or scriptural principles of sowing and reaping. I said first, Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors into the harvest field. And we're under his authority. He has said now I've called you, now you go. Ye shall be witnesses unto me. Now I want to tell you, everything else that you and I want to talk about, we can talk about the gifts of the Spirit, we can talk about talents and everything else, but the one thing we cannot avoid, if you don't have the gifts and if you don't have the talents, the one thing you do have is the authority that you're and the requirement that you're supposed to go and be witnesses for Jesus Christ. There's no way around it. And if you want to be a real witness, these other things really are, are needed in your life in order to be the witness God wants you to be, but they're not to be had just for themselves, but to be used as an instrument to be more effective for Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. Secondly, the seed is the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Thirdly, I said that every seed sown does not result in the salvation of a lost person, but it does accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. No word shall return unto me void, the Lord says, but it will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. I want to tell you, I don't care who that person is. If any person ever comes in this church and the word of God is declared... They will go out and they may think they've forgotten it, but in eternity they'll remember every word that was spoken concerning the word of God because God's going to put it in their memory and they'll say they're without excuse because they heard the opportunity to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Lord just says we're to be laborers and witnesses and and faithful stewards of his. And to expect fruit every time you witness is unrealistic. But to know that when you walk away, whether they've accepted or rejected, you've won because you've gotten the hook in them, the word of God. The absence of a positive response when you witness is not the evidence that you failed. If that were true, then all the prophets in the Old Testament failed. If it were true, then Jesus Himself failed. If it were true, Paul the Apostle failed. He was stoned. And a negative response is not necessarily failure on your part. Jesus gave the illustration that seventy-five percent of the seed that's scattered is not going to produce good fruit. He didn't say it didn't accomplish His purpose. And if you and I expect a warm reception every time we present the gospel, we're deceiving ourselves because the Word of God says, don't be deceived. You're going to have tribulation in this world. People are going to hate you. They're going to say all manner of evil against you for my sake. Don't think it's strange when fiery trials come against you. As though some strange thing has happened, you know, don't, don't think that at all. He said, you're not going to be popular. If they didn't love me, they're not going to love you. And I want to get this across to you. You and I are not trying to win a popularity contest. We are declaring that we are ambassadors of a king of another kingdom. We're to declare the word to those whether they receive it or not. We're still to declare it. And then, once we do declare it, know where the credit belongs. We talked about that. First Corinthians, the third chapter, seventh verse. Neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God giveth the increase. If you and I can't take the credit when someone does come to Christ because we witness to them, then we shouldn't take the blame when someone doesn't come to Christ. You see what I'm saying? If I were delivering a telegram here this morning, and I came in the door, and someone were up here preaching, and the telegram was for them, and I walked up and gave it to them, if they got mad at me, what would I care? Hey, I'd say, hey, it's not for me, it's from President Bush. Say all you want to, it's not for me, it's from President Bush. I'm just delivering the message. And you and I have to understand, when we present the gospel to someone, they may get absolutely vehement. I've had people scream in my face, and curse me, and everything else, I I'm just the messenger boy, just telling you what God says. Now, if that bothers you, then you have to talk to God, not me. But we have to get out of this idea that if we don't make success every time, then I'm not going to do it because I, I might be embarrassed or somebody might get mad at me. Yeah, they're going to get mad at me. But he said, don't let that stop you. Continue to witness and then don't take the credit if you do succeed. The Lord of the harvest, the Scripture says, rewards every Christian who is a faithful sower. 1 Corinthians 3.8. Every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now may I just tell you, young people, you don't get any credit for what your mom and dad do. Husbands don't get credit for what their wives do, wives for what their husbands do. The Word of God says that each one of us in that day are going to be rewarded for our own labor. There are a lot of people that sit back and say, well, my husband or my father or my somebody in the family, they're really active in the Lord's work. I've had people say, well, I've got a son that's in the ministry, and they're not doing anything, but their son's in the ministry, and they think, well, I'm just going to collect a little bit of his reward. No, no, no. Every person, you and I, this morning, if you're sitting in the seat all by yourself and no one's sitting on your lap, no one is going to get a reward unless you do it. There was a time when people really excitedly thought about the reward they're going to receive when they come before the Lord. But I notice today a lot of people don't get the least bit excited about reward. You know, if they got a raise, they'd get all excited and give a testimony. But when you talk to them about eternal rewards, we're so concerned about the nasty here and now that we forget about the sweet by and by. And I want to tell you something, one of these days we release all this old stuff here and we end up up there with nothing, we're going to stand embarrassed before the Lord. These things mean nothing in eternity, what you and I have here and now mean nothing in eternity. But if we'll serve the Lord and work and work for the Lord and minister and testify and share the gospel with others in that day, if we even give a glass of water in the name of a disciple, we'll get a disciple's reward. The Lord says, "Don't store up treasures here on earth, but store them up where moth and teeth can't break through and and uh, moth and rust corrode. Store them up in heaven." We can't take it with us, but we can send it ahead. How? By working and doing the work of the ministry here on earth, as unto the Lord. The harvest is perennial. Say not, Jesus said, There are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are they are white already unto harvest. In season, out of season, exhort, rebuke the word of God, says, There's never a time when you and I should not be available to witness to those round about us. Now Number seven, joy and weeping are inseparable partners in sowing and reaping. Would you turn with me to Psalm 126? Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6. They that sow in tears shall what? Reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. First of all, you notice in that fifth, or the sixth verse, he that what? You got to go for first of all. You know, in the book of Proverbs, it talks about the lazy farmer who says, takes considerate well, it's too cold out to plant right now, or the clouds look like it might rain, and if you don't plant, if you don't go out and plant your crop, he says, when the fall comes, you won't have anything to eat. And I want to tell you, what Jesus is trying to tell us, the Word of God is trying to tell us here, is if you and I aren't willing to go out and sow the seed, we'll not have a crop when we stand before the Lord in that day. He said, there's no choice in this matter. If you belong to me, then you are to declare me as the only hope of eternal life for mankind. You're to let them know I was blind, but now I see. I have been released from my sin. I have been washed in the blood of Jesus. And if I were to die this moment, I would enter into the Lord's presence. You know, we have a message to declare to them. It doesn't make it any difference what power you think you have right now. The name of Jesus is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And we need to be bold and brave in declaring that fact. I have a living, I serve a risen Savior. He is in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever man may say. I'm asking the Lord to break my heart a little more about lost souls. We can get to the place where we become so professional and it just becomes an automatic thing. Well, this is what I'm supposed to do and that's what I'm supposed to do. And I said, God, break my heart. Let me begin to really have a, an aching in my heart for lost souls. It's been so long since I have seen people really weep over lost souls. But I, I really believe with all my heart that it's, a broken heart is necessary equipment that you're going to be a soul winner. It's got to break your heart when you realize men and women are going out into a Christless eternity And someday we'll be separated from the presence of God without hope for eternity. And until we really believe that down in our hearts, we're not going to really get excited or enthusiastic or determined to be that witness that the Lord told us to be. If you begin to quit looking at people as to what their position in society is and see them as the Lord saw them, as a harvest white, see men and women that outside of Jesus Christ, he that believeth on the Son hath life, but he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth upon them. See them as, as one with Pericles' sword hanging right over their head. That at any moment the judgment of God is going to fall, and if they're to die that moment, it would they would be suddenly cast out into eternal darkness, the word of God says, where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And until we really believe that down in our hearts, that just as we believe there's a heaven, Jesus said there was a hell. Here we believe that. We're not going to get concerned about lost souls. And the writer of the scripture says, he that, he that goeth forth and weepeth has a broken heart, a burdened heart for the lost. They're not going to see a harvest. I read concerning our Lord Jesus Christ, and he said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. And Jesus, as he looked over Jerusalem, what happened? He wept, the word of God said. There were times when Jesus was so concerned over the lost that he forgot all about eating. Remember when he saw the woman of Sychar at the well and began to witness to her, and he said, yes, you've had five husbands, but the one you're with now is not your husband. And She said, boy, you must be a prophet. She ran back into the city, and the disciples came to feed him, and he said, I have meat to eat that you know not of. And they said, who served him food? Jesus said that to do the will of God was his meat. He forgot meals. He lost sleep. Jesus stayed awake many nights, praying all night that he might accomplish the calling and purpose of God for his life. Look at 2 Corinthians, the second chapter, verses 1 through 4. But I determined this within, with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. Another translation says, I will not come to you with another painful visit. He was kind of hard on them. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad, but the same which is made sorry by me? He's saying, if I make you sad, then you can't make me glad. He wanted to come back and cheer them up. And I wrote the same unto you, lest when I came I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you with what? Now Paul the Apostle wasn't even there, but he heard that they were having spiritual difficulties and problems. And when he sat down to write to them, he was so concerned and burdened for them, he began to weep over them. Not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. Paul the Apostle said in one place, he said, I, I literally have birth pangs, spiritual birth pangs, until you be born into the kingdom. And he said, I would give my life, I would give up my life and be a curse for my brethren of Israel. And I wonder how many of us today would say, Lord, if you have to wipe my, book out of the, my name out of the book of life in order that these can be saved, do it. He was that concerned. David Brainerd, the old missionary, years ago said, Lord, give me souls or I die. I can't stand it without souls. I've got to have souls. Spurgeon one time said, if any man will be satisfied without souls, he shall have none. And if you and I are satisfied not to win others to Jesus Christ, not to see souls saved through our efforts, we'll not see souls saved. It's only when we begin to cry out to the Lord of the harvest, Lord, use me. Make me to be fruitful. Make me to be productive. Let me be that witness you want me to be. Lord, break my heart over those that are lost and outside of Christ. Make me to see how much they need the light that you alone can give. Look over in Acts, the 20th chapter, back to Acts. Beginning with the 17th verse. Paul was traveling on his missionary journey and he came to Ephesus well actually he was at Miletus which is on the coastline he called in to send out a message into uh, Ephesus or which we call the church of the Ephesians um, asked the elders to come out so he could talk to them and he said and from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church and when they were come to him he said unto them you know from the first day that I came unto a- into Asia after what manner I have been with you at all seasons serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with what? Many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And then over in verse 31, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn everyone night and day With tears. Jesus wept over lost souls. Paul wept over lost souls and ones that were not following after the Lord like they ought to. May I ask you a question and you don't have to raise your hand or answer me outwardly, but inwardly, how long has it been since you and I have really wept over lost souls? How long has it been since we've really been so concerned we couldn't eat and we couldn't sleep over the fact that there were loved ones in our family and our relations, and our neighbors who are outside of Jesus Christ, and if they were to die, they would go out into eternity without Christ. I'm not talking about emotionalism. I'm talking about a deep sense of awareness that outside of Jesus Christ, the soul is lost for eternity. We've lost it. The church has lost it. During the time of revival, during the time of revivals that took place in the in the past decades, men and women would literally not be able to sleep, they'd not be able to eat. At work, all they could do would be praying all the time they were working because they were so... And, and God caused hundreds of thousands to be saved. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm asking you, are we going to fulfill what He said there? He that goeth forth and weepeth. Are we willing to have a broken heart for those that are lost around us? I can't give that to you. You and I have to cry out to the Lord and ask the Lord to break our hearts over lost souls. Burden our hearts for the lost. If I were to tell you that someone was just hit by a car out in front, you'd say, oh, Lord, help that person. If I had say it was your child, the reaction would be totally different. Now you have a personal burning burden for that person because they're yours. And that's what's happened with the, the church of Jesus Christ. We have failed to understand that Jesus, said, other sheep I have that are not of this fold, those also I must bring. And he cannot bring them unless you and I go out and find the lost sheep and bring them in. And we've got to realize they're a part of us. They need to become a part of us. Jesus said they're sheep and they need to come into the flock. But if we don't reproduce after our own kind, they're going to go to hell without Christ. And in that day we're going to stand before him and they're going to say, Why didn't you tell me? And he said time and time again in the Old Testament, Their blood is going to be upon your hands. He didn't say they have to get saved, but he said we're to witness and to do it with a broken heart, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's what the will of God is. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed. Remember, the word is the seed. This is why the word of God says so clearly to study to show yourselves approved unto God. That's why it says that we're to hide the Word of God away in our hearts. That we're ready to be ready to give an answer to everyone that asketh a reason for the hope that lieth within us. It's that precious seed that you and I can bear forth. You see, the Word of God is alive, quick and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it appears clear down to the dividing asunder of joints in the morrow. In the, it goes clear down into the inner being of the person and it separates light from darkness and makes us see wrong from right. And it quickened, bearing precious seed. Now here's the certainty of the results. Shall doubtless come again. No doubt about it, they will come again with rejoicing. I'll tell you, there's not that many things in this life that I know of that even comes close to seeing a soul redeemed and their life turned around and committed to Jesus Christ. When I went back out to that youth retreat out in Colorado and saw these young people that had come to the church and had come forward and accepted Christ and within my Bible study I was able to teach them and to say, here they are, 30 years later, 35 years later, still serving the Lord, still walking on with the Lord. John, the beloved, said, I have no greater joy than to see my children continue to walk in the things of the Lord. How many do you and I, how many can you and I point at and say, God used me to influence that one for the kingdom of God? If we'll, if we'll go forth weeping with precious seed, he says, there's no doubt about it. You will come again rejoicing. And what will be the reward? What? Bringing his sheaves with him. His sheaves. The Lord says, so your sheaves. I'm going to bless you because of your faithfulness. I'm going to bless you for it. I want to encourage you to witness for Jesus Christ every way you can. God has called you to be a witness. And if you're here this morning and don't know Jesus Christ, let me tell you something. You're missing the greatest thrill that any man can know on the face of the earth. To know your sins are forgiven. To know that they're under the blood, never to be remembered against you again. And to know that you have the eternal God living within you. Jesus said, my Father and I will come and dwell with you. He said, I'll send the Holy Spirit to live in your heart. He says, peace I give unto you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. On the other side of the coin, if you profess to be a Christian and you don't have peace in your heart this morning, you know you have failed God, and let me tell you something, all of us have. You know you've missed it, you've come short, all of us have. I take you again to 1 John, the second chapter. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, even Jesus Christ the righteous. And You can come to him this morning and say, Lord... That's sin in my life. I don't want it in my life. I ask you to cleanse me and forgive me with the precious blood of Jesus. And I ask you to use me to be a witness for you. I'm not going to let the devil beat me down. I'm not going to go around with guilt, embarrassment, shame, unworthiness. All the I'm not going to carry this anymore, Lord. I'm going to throw these things over on you. And I'm going to declare that I am made the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to begin to declare to others around about me that I have been washed in the blood. And I have the assurance of eternal life within me. And that they can have it also. May I just share this one thing with you? Generally speaking, the ones that you think would be the last ones to be saved, in many cases would be the first ones to be saved, because they're the ones that know they've got a problem. My sister said of all the family that I have, Joe was the last one I ever thought would get saved. But she didn't know down deep inside I was the emptiest. And when she told me that I could know forgiveness of sins. Man, Jesus said, he who is forgiven much loveth much. May I ask you this morning to really ask the Lord to put on your heart a a real burden for the lost, that he'll begin to give you a new boldness to declare who Jesus Christ is and what he's done in your life, that you'll begin to say, Lord, how can I give my testimony, very short, brief testimony, but to where others can know who Christ is in my life. Now, yes, they'll laugh at you. Yes, they'll scoff at you. Yes, they'll get mad at you. Yes, they'll reject you. But you won. When you stand before the Lord, you've won. And the Word is in them. They'll never get it out. That book is in them. Remember me telling you of people in Vietnam, soldiers in Vietnam, who had never gone to church and only when they were little tiny boys? And here they were in the stockage, and the Holy Spirit brought back them little courses that they'd learned in the dailyification Bible School. They won. See, that, that teacher thought, well, that child went out no influence, but the Spirit of God continued to carry it through. So you and I win when we just get the Word into them. They'll never get away from that word. It'll be there. The Spirit of God will keep... He can set up a pulpit on the end of their foot of their bed and every night preach those verses to them. All we have to do is get the hook in them and let the Spirit of God do the rest. He says, you'll just be witnesses. He didn't say soul winners. Witnesses. You tell what you know to be a fact in your life. And then let the Spirit of God speak to them too. How many of you know there's some people who would never, ever sit down in the evening in their home without turning on the TV to hear the news. But there are many Christians today that will watch the news and then the next program, the next program, they'll go to bed and when they're just about dead they might open up the verse and I mean the Bible reads two or three verses and say amen and go to bed. You see, they, they've set their priorities wrongly and Paul the Apostle said to this young pastor, he said, first of all, study. Now that word in the Greek means use diligence speedily. The emphasis means not just, well, that's right, I was supposed to read a chapter a day. Uh, well, which chapter well, I guess it doesn't make any difference. Where's that short psalm? You know any of you ever go through that? Try to find that short chapter? Where you don't really come away feeling that God has given you some new truth and new insight into his word? That isn't what this word's saying here. Paul says to Timothy, you with diligence and and urgency study. To show, and that word show means to set or place in the air. get something, what you're studying, get it closer to you so it's handy. Study to show yourselves approved unto God. Approved unto God. It means tested and tried. You have gone through the fire. You've paid the price. Now, how many of you know, I've told you many, many times, you pay now or you pay later? Now, that's a law, and you might as well write it down, young people. Adults are probably finding it out every day. I mean, they found it out already. You either pay now or you pay later. And what he's saying is here, study to show yourselves that you have paid the price. You've been willing to pay the price so that you won't have to pay it later. Study to show yourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. That word there means embarrassed, to be humiliated greatly. How many of you know that you can go to your school teacher at school, young people, and say, Oh, I forgot that assignment. And they may make you stay after school or they may give you a bad grade. But when we stand before God and He'll say, why didn't you hide my word away in your heart? Well, you know, this isn't going to work. We're going to be humiliated. It's an open book test. God says, don't ever say you don't understand and You don't know because I've given it to you and I've given you my Holy Spirit so that you can know. Well, I'm too young. Don't ever say that. Let no man despise your youth. But be an example unto the other believers in all manner of living. I really believe that in many churches, it's the young people that can cause revival to come. In the last three months, God's given us, I think, it's five or six young people who have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. That's the beginning of revival, when young people can begin to accept the Lord and not just not get sit down and get soaked, but to begin to sit, to sit down and soak the Word of God into them to where they get excited about the things of the Lord. I know that when I first got saved and went to the CNMA church in Fremont, Nebraska, I was told later that I was embarrassing some of the other young people. They didn't like to be around me because I was embarrassing them. I said, well, how could I embarrass them? They said, well, all you wanted to talk about was the Word. All you wanted to talk about was witnessing to someone about Jesus Christ. And they were very comfortable in their position. Hey, man, I go to church. Don't hang it on me. Don't bug me, fella. I mean, hey, get off. I, you know, don't get so excited about this. And here I was, glory to God, how can I serve the Lord better? I mean, who? when's the next church service? I can hardly wait to get to church. Well, when we stand before God, we're going to be embarrassed and humiliated greatly if we haven't done what Paul the Apostle says that we are supposed to do. Every believer, study to show yourselves approved unto God. Well, I'm not too young, Pastor, but I'm too old. Oh, really? Psalm 92. Psalm 92. First of all, verse 12, The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. And then verse 14, unless you're 105, don't listen, 115, don't listen to this now. It says, they shall bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. Who? The righteous? Let me ask you do You know one of the greatest brain drains in this nation is when our nation said when you get the age 65 to quit? One of the most horrible things we could have done as a nation. Productive people who have had years and years and years of experience. Now, back in Paul's time, when they had men had all that experience, several of the dads would say, here, take my son and teach him your traits. Now, what do they do? They say, get out of the way, will you? What I'm trying to say to you here is, the Word of God says that whether we're young or old or in between, the requirement the prerequisite for obedience to God is that we set up a program of studying God's Word. <laughs> now, why? Because the Bible says that I'm going to stand before God and answer if I don't study to show myself approved, I am going to be shamed when I stand before the Lord. Now, it does not say here, if you are a pastor. It says the every believer is to study. You say, where do you get that? Well, look at 2 Timothy 2.1. Thou therefore, my son, Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to what? Faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Let me ask you something. How can you teach others if you don't learn yourself? See, I'm supposed to be an equipper. I'm supposed to encourage you, challenge you, feed you, help you to grow to where you begin to get hungry to do these things on your your own. And the Word of God says here that we should be able to teach others also and endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And if we don't, the Scripture says we're going to stand ashamed before Him in that day. Needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, rightly means giving the true meaning or the true application to the word of truth. Now, how do you find that out? You're going to have to study. You see, that's boring. If studying the word is boring, then you need to ask God to renew your spirit. Because you know why? What we learn in here is what we're going to be have for the rest of eternity. How many of you know that the batting average and the the scores of all the football games and the Dow Jones average and uh, the price of real estate in the Florida market and so forth, none of that's going to mean anything to you when you step out of this life. Not one thing. But what we find out in the Word of God, these eternal truths, heaven and earth, heaven and earth, get this, heaven and earth will pass away. But my Word will never pass away. When we get to heaven, the more we know of this, the more we're going to be pleasing our Lord when we stand before Him. Study to show yourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Look at Luke, the ninth chapter with me. Luke, the ninth chapter, 23 through 26. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny or disown himself, and take up his cross daily and follow me. And whosoever will save his life, or keep it for himself, whosoever, let me reword that, whosoever wills to save his life decides, well, I'm not going to give my life to Jesus Christ, I'm going to keep it for myself. I mean, after all, I mean, I'm going to go to church, but this stuff of seven days a week, and this stuff of being embarrassed in front of all my friends, no, sorry. I, I mean, I've got a life to live too. Jesus said, whoever wills to do that will lose it. But whosoever will, wills to lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be a castaway? For whosoever, here it is, for whosoever shall be ashamed of me. Now let me tell you, if you're ashamed of him here, he's going to be ashamed of you there. And you're going to be ashamed when you stand before him. Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my word, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he come, when he shall come in his own glory and is in his Father's and of the holy angel. I don't think that needs much interpretation. The Bible says that we, if we're professing Christians, there is no place in our life to ever be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, or of Jesus Christ, or of his word. Of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes, shall come in his own glory, and in his Father's, and of the Holy Angel. When Christ comes again, if you have and I have been ashamed of him, he will not want to admit that we're here. Matthew, the 10th chapter. He says you will be ashamed of us, but he goes further here in Matthew. Matthew ten thirty two. Whosoever, therefore, shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Now, let's just go on there a little bit further because he says... Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance with his father and the the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake and the gospel shall find it. The Bible says that if you and I fail to witness and fail to sow the seed, we will stand ashamed. Here, first of all, be ashamed before men, and we'll be ashamed to stand before him. And not only that, but he'll be ashamed of us. He'll deny us in that day. See, witnessing is not optional. Today the church has come to the place where it says, well, we have the clergy and we have the laity. We hire the pastor to do that. And the deacons, of course, they're in a responsibility to do that. Us, well, we just go in and plop down our dollar a week, or five dollars a week, or ten dollars a week, or whatever we're supposed to do. I mean, whatever feels good, that's what we'll do. We've met our responsibility. See, once we give it, it's not a responsibility anymore. And so, well, we've done it. We've done our religious thing. I want to tell you something, that's a lie out of the pit. When we're called in, we're all in the one body of Jesus Christ. We're functioning as an organism, not as an organization, as an organism. And every one of us are to go out and reproduce after our own kind and bring others in. God has just placed within the body those that are equippers to help you do that thing that you're supposed to do. The second thing is we're going to suffer loss. Matthew 25, beginning with verse 14. Jesus giving you illustration after illustration concerning the kingdom of heaven. He just finished talking about the ten virgins, and he starts another one. He says, So the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servant. Who is that man, by the way? Who is Jesus talking about as being that man? That's right, himself, Jesus Christ, the Lord of the harvest, who called his own servant, doulo, bond If You want to know what your relationship to Jesus Christ should be? It's not, hey, buddy, it's not the old man upstairs where he's his bond we're his friends but he says also were his bondservants bondservants meaning we own nothing he owns everything he called his own bond slaves and delivered unto them his goods. now again there's a biblical principle that's involved if you don't see these things you're not going to grasp it and that's why you need to read a verse over and over again and pick these words out and find some truth there first of all bond slaves own nothing so they didn't have anything they couldn't do anything so Jesus says here I'm going to give you my good how many of you know that every talent, every ability, every everything you can do is not your own? It was given to you by God. You say, Well, I'm I'm a good-looking dude. I'm a nice looking girl. I mean, who gave you your looks? I mean, you didn't have a thing to do with that. I'm really amazed sometimes when people get proud over their looks. What possible thing did you have to do with it? I mean, look, I got this crooked nose. I didn't have anything to do with that, except I got hit when I was boxing one time and got hit with a baseball and broke it, but I mean I don't have anything to do I can't make myself one inch taller. I can't make myself better looking or worse looking. The talents that I have, is if I can sing, I sing because God gave me that ability. How many of you know he could have put a bullfrog sound box in my throat too? I know of a farmer that loved the Lord with all his heart and he wanted to sing in the worst way, but he wouldn't sing out loud unless he was out north in the north 40 and the wind was blowing away from the farmhouse with his tractor going wide open. He said if somebody would hear me, they'd come thinking there was an emergency. He just could not carry it through, But that man loved the Lord with all of his heart. So God's not going to hold him responsible for not singing out loud in public. Now, if you and I can sing. God's going to hold us responsible if we don't use it for his glory. If we can organize, if we can teach, if we can clean, if we can do it. Those things God didn't just give them to us because, hey, you're a cool dude. He gave them to us because those are his gifts for you to use as a faithful steward to receive a reward in that day when you stand before him. Well, let me tell you something. I didn't want to go into the ministry. I mean, I hated school. I've told you before this. I hated school when I was in high school. I used to write on my books in case of flood, stand on this. In case of fire, throw these in. I mean, all kinds of dumb things as a non Christian. But I paid dearly when I went from, and God called me to Bible college. And I thought, you have got to be kidding. I looked around thinking there must be somebody else in the room. Because when I went to my pastor's house and saw his library, he probably had 300 books up on the shelf. And I thought, oh, gag me with a spoon. Books. I came out of a background where the last thing I ever wanted to do was study. The company I was working for at that time, I was a hard worker. They said, if you'll go to college and get your degree, we'll pay your way through college if you come back and work for us. I said, oh, yuck. College? Are you kidding? He still hadn't called me to the ministry. But I went there and I want to tell you I paid doubly hard because if you don't pay now, you'll pay later. I didn't pay the price in high school. I had to learn double when I got in college to learn how to study. Other kids would sit down in an hour, they'd have all their studies done, go out and have a good time. I'd sit there six, seven, eight hours. I averaged, I think, five hours sleep a night for the whole first year in school. Why? Because I didn't use the develop my gifts and talents when I was younger, and I had to work extra hard to try to develop them later. But God gave me the ability, but I wasn't using it. When I became saved out of obedience, you know how I learned to study? I knelt down by my bedside on my knees and wept over my books. Dear God, please give me the ability. Give me the wisdom. Give me the insight. Help me to be able to think. Help me to be able to concentrate. Help me to pick out the things that the teacher would ask. But I had to learn how to take notes. I had to learn how to listen. I had to learn how to retain. Why? Well, it wasn't easy, but God was calling me. God was putting His hand on me. And I want to tell you something. If He calls me, He has called you just as much to do these things that He's put in His Word to do. He may not call you to be a pastor, But he's telling you, take the talents and gifts and abilities I've given you. Don't be lazy. Don't procrastinate. Commit them to the Lord. Die to yourself and say, Lord, my life is in your hands. Get this principle, young people. Here's a principle. If you'll get this, it'll change your whole life. Be faithful in the small things. If you're supposed to be somewhere on time, be there on time. If you're supposed to help somebody and you say you're going to help somebody, help them. If you can minister to somebody else's need, even though you have a need, give. And God will see to it that it comes back to you. But not do it for them. Do it as unto the Lord. Please, don't go out telling God, if you just give me this and this and this, I'll do that. No, no, no. Say, Lord, you've given me this. And then if you want me to do more, you'll have to give me more. But I'll be faithful to what you've given me. How many of you know that if you aren't faithful to what you have, a man would be a fool to give you any more? According to the several abilities, and straightway took his journey, he gave him the abilities, and left. Now watch. Uh, then he that had received five talents went and traded the, with the same, and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that received one went and digged in the earth and hid his lord's money. His lord's mo- not his money, his lord's money. You know that'll be one of the greatest things that'll happen in your life whenever the day comes that you realize that the tithe is not the lord. All of it is the lord. All of it is the lord. Just as you're just declaring, Lord, you are my Lord, you are my master, and as in recognition of that, I return that which you said I am to return, not give to you, return to you, the ten percent. Now, Lord, what would you have me to do with the other ninety percent? I've had a lot of people say, I don't want to talk about that, Lord. Why? Because it's still there. It says here, talking about the Lord, giving it to us, he said that he that received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of these servants, those servants, cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou in the joy of the Lord." He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. And his Lord said, You lazy, sloven, slob. Why didn't you get ten talents like the guy with five? He didn't even mention that he had just talked to a man that had five talents and had doubled his. He He said the same thing to the man that had two talents that he said to the man with, with, with five talents. Notice that. Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. It doesn't have anything to do with how many talents you have. It's what you do with the talents that you do have that God blesses and honors you and awards you for. Verse 24, Then he which had received, not earned, but received the one talent, came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. He was the Lord's servant. He knew his master. Now I want you to see something. Jesus didn't deny what he said about him. He came as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, but he's coming back as king of kings and lord of lords. He's going to rule with a rod of iron in that day. Verse 25, And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast, that is, thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest. He didn't deny what he said. Thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury, with interest. If nothing else, you should have at least put it somewhere where it could have drawn interest. But you buried it. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath what? Wait a minute, he already has ten talents. Yeah, but the Lord says in the next verse, "For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not, shall be what? Taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth." Now he's talking about his servants with his talents, and those that were faithful. He said, "Well done, faithful and good and faithful servant." So, this one who hid his talent, buried it, was ashamed, as it were, virtually denied, as it were, the end result was, he says, cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. First of all, there's going to be shame. Second, the Word of God tells us very clearly that we're going to suffer loss. That there's much to be lost if we fail to sow. The Lord didn't make that an option for believers. He said it's a requirement. Now, again, if you hear this and it makes you all trembly inside and you say, I just can't do that, then you need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, why can't I do this? What is it that's blocking? Is there a fear of man? Do I have a spirit of covetousness? Do I love the things of this world? If I do, will you please forgive me and deliver me from it completely? Well, you, you made my mouth help me to speak. And Lord, I ask you to take laziness out of me procrastination out of my life and ask the Lord to equip you and give you the necessary strength to do it. Then the enemy is going to come along and, and let him say, well, I was just too lazy and the Lord understands the heart. No, no, he doesn't understand. He's saying that it's required of a steward that he be found faithful. Not indifferent, not slovenly, but faithful. Faithful to study with urgency the word of God. Hide the word of God away in our hearts to be able to give an answer. To plant the seed so that the fruit can come so when we stand before him we'll not be ashamed and we'll not lose. Paul says the things that we go through in this world are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed when we stand before him. That excites me. If you and I think it's going to cost us something to go out and do what he says here we should do, it's not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed when Jesus comes again.